Hey everybody, welcome to Inside the Album. It's the podcast where we take a deep, deep dive into your favorite rock and roll albums and talk about the stories behind the recording and the writing of the songs and what the band was doing at the time and Mm -hmm. all that sort of stuff. And uh, we're having a great time doing it. This is our 23rd episode. So go to our website, insidethealbum.com, where you can check out the previous episodes. And we've already covered a ton, a ton of great, great, great classic rock albums. So uh, check them out there if you uh, so desire. And uh, always feel free to give us a like, a subscribe. We really enjoy those things. So it really helps us out. And one of my favorite things about Inside the Album is that we get to work with this great charity. So tell us all about it. Tom. Hey, and by the way, I'm Tommy Hilkin, and that's Don Seckler. Oh, right. Uh-huh. I forgot that. I figured they know us already by now. Oh, so. yeah. yeah. We're like right. old friends. Yeah. We've hit that point of celebrity, you and I. Look <laughs> at us. Top of the world, huh? Who would ever thought in 23 weeks? Look at us. Yeah, there you nice. go. Nice. So, yeah, really, we're going to talk a little bit about music for Mark. Thanks, uh, Don. It's why we do this, to raise awareness for our charity where we bring music to the world through kids. Uh, we help them out with musical lessons, musical instruments, anything we can do. Don and I both love music. It's been a tremendous part of our lives. So we just want to keep it flowing, keep it going. And musicformark.com, check it out if you can help us out. Don, tell them how they can help us out a little bit. Yep, we're collecting used instruments. So if you got a guitar, ukulele, banjo, <laughs> even a kazoo, uh, anything laying around, we'd be happy to uh, take it off your hands and repurpose it and get it in the hands of somebody who wants to get started uh, learning music and enjoying uh, playing music. So help us out. Check it out at musicformark.com. Yeah, I'm I'm waiting for a French horn. That's there what I go. want. <laughs> We're gonna get a whole, a whole there orchestra. you go. That's <laughs> it, baby. I'm I'm ready. I'll lead it. All I need is one of those sticks. <laughs> the baton, I think they call that the baton, the band. Yeah, leader, well, right? where I come from, it's a stick. <laughs> <The> stick. <laughs> <laughs> that Guttenberg High School band was something else, huh? Oh, they were fantastic. <laughs> Two people. Nice. <laughs> Playing a trombone and a French horn, and that was it. And the guy with the stick, <laughs> and the guy with the stick leading them. <laughs> All right, so enough of the All silliness. Right. Let's get into the rock and roll. We're talking about who's next. It's wow. going back way, way back here. And you know, sometimes I, I, you know, you and I live through these days, but I, I think people don't realize how long ago the early 70s was. Oh, my and God. So this album is uh, released in 1971. Uh, wow. In, in August of 1971. Wow. The band is, I think, pretty well known. Roger Daltrey on vocals. You've got John Entwistle on bass and uh, played a little bit of piano and some brass instruments on this album and also uh, wrote one of the songs. Keith Moon was the drummer. And Pete Townsend is the guitar player, organ synthesizer, vocals, and piano, Mm -hmm. and pretty much, you know, it's really Pete's band. So Pete writes all the music, Pete writes all the lyrics, Pete pretty much does everything with The Who. You have the one Entwistle song on this album, Uh, but for the most part, this is Pete Townsend's band and always has been. Wow, interesting. And to think, you know, this is the year where I see this 50 top you know, 50 albums hit in 50 years. This is one of them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. This album's 50 years old this year. Ouch. Ouch. So, uh, you know, I was a wee lad of uh, eight when it came out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I get it. It's, it's, it's interesting. All these albums, 
all coming up on 50 years yeah so on the charts at the time and this is you know end of the 60s beginning of the 70s so it's still a little bit of the hippie days mm -hmm. uh but you've also got a lot of rock and roll on the charts you got led zeppelin of led zeppelin 4 which we've talked about previously you've got yep. doors la woman wow you've got uh david bowie hunky dory which is a great mm. great album uh black sabbath was on the charts with master of reality and the Allman Brothers at Fillmore East, mm. another legendary uh, live album, of course. Wow, but, uh, definitely one of the one of the all time great albums. Yeah, Master Reality was one of my all time favorites. Yeah, great, it's a good one. Album. Love oh, those yeah. early Sabbath records. Ah, the best, the best. And uh, so it didn't sell a ton of copies, three million sold. But you know, I think we get a little spoiled because when we talk about you know Fleetwood Mac selling what was it, forty million or something? Forty, like, yeah, forty yeah. million, yeah. You, you expect all these numbers to be that high, but they really, you know, when you sold a million copies, that was a big deal back in the day. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So this one sold three million. Rolling Stone ranked it uh, 28th on its list of the 500 greatest albums of all time. And in 2007, it was inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame. Mm. So this is the band's fifth album. Uh, so they've been at it for a while. Yeah. And, you know, the thing wow. people, a lot of people don't realize is the Who started very right after the Beatles, pretty much. And the Beatles and Stones in 60, I guess, 63, 64, right? Right, yeah. And then The Who and, and all these other bands started popping up right in uh, 65, 66. So I think you have this period of time where when, when the Beatles first came out, it was still kind of suit jackets and ties and rock and roll, <laughs> yeah. you know? And it was very and mellow. It was very, it wasn't Beatle what boots. we think of today. Yeah, right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. But this thing started changing then the beatles came out and then zeppelin and and you got who and the stones and all these other bands doing more what we see is today is your you know what we traditionally think of as rock and roll which is a rock little bit more looser where guys are wearing you know t-shirts and and just regular clothes and not dressing yeah. up in suits and you know the music is a bit more aggressive and those sort of things so it's a time of change uh for music and but this one the who uh finds them right in the middle and you know at the peak of their popularity so they had yeah. just had the album tommy which was hugely successful with pinball wizard and all that kind of stuff they had been touring and stuff and then came back together to put together this album who's next Wow. Let me tell you something. This is why I love what we do. You know, the flashbacks I get when you just said, Tommy, you know, people forget how great of an album that was. And then you start thinking about Quadrophenia. You know, it's just like, oh, my God, the Who has some catalog of great music. They do. This it's will just, be great. This album in particular is like hit after hit after. It's another album where every song on it is great. Right. And like we always say, it's always seems to be that album that you just said they have, you know, four albums before this. Right. But there's always that one album that everybody thinks is the Who's first album. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think, you know, I don't know that people think this is their first one, but they definitely uh, a lot of people point to this as their best album. And, yeah. you know, from beginning to end, I would say, yeah, it definitely is. But God, this was a lot of radio airplay kind of music. That's oh, right. yeah. That's what always puts you over the top. Yeah, they did have, you know, there are longer songs on here and we'll talk about some of them, but they're all kind of legendary songs that I think everybody knows. 
And some of them did have edited versions to go on the radio, which the band didn't like at all. These are my Scott Muni days. Yeah, exactly. Right. Going back to old <laughs> New York radio. Uh, the best of the best. So let's look at the cover of the album here and here you'll see it. It's basically this big cement block coming up out of the <laughs> ground and the boys in the band, all four of them are walking away from it, zipping up their pants and there are wet marks on the, uh, on the obelisk or whatever you're going to call this, this, uh, this big cement thing. Um, so basically they're saying, Hey, we just peed here. Uh, in actuality, Pete, Townsend is the only one who actually peed on the wall. The others were done with a, a film canister full of water and they just made it look like they peed on the wall. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Three guys had class. There yeah. you go. <laughs> so now we know who in the who whips it out a lot. <laughs> and pees on the obelisk. <laughs> Whatever the hell that is. Obel uh, word of the day, obelisk. Obelisk, and yes. Yeah, you could tell which one of us went to school. <laughs> obelisk <laughs> so the idea for the cover came from actually came from uh john entwistle and keith moon they were discussing uh the film 2001 a space oddity by stanley kubrick which is mm -hmm. also a late is that late 60s or 1970 it's right around then yeah right uh, yep. yeah so uh they were talking about that and then they talked to the photographer and they said okay let's do this and like I just said, it was just uh, Townsend who was the only one who actually peed on the on the cement thing. So, but it's an interesting cover. Uh, you know, not one of my favorites really, but definitely you you recognize it right away. Yep, we've all had it in our record collection. Yeah, for sure. So oh, the yeah. album the album was uh, kind of developed from an aborted project that Townsend was working on called the Lifehouse Pro Project. So it was another kind of multimedia rock opera. So they had done Tommy, which worked out really well. Yeah. And Townsend, that was his mindset at the time, was putting together these thematic, you know, albums and trying to do, you know, what he had done on Tommy and, and you know, well, Bowie's uh, Ziggy wasn't out yet, but it's the same concept where they try to get these albums where the, the story goes through the album from song to song. And it's, it's yeah. very rarely done well. Um, but Tommy did it great, but they had this other project Lifehouse, that he was working on and it just, it got so complex and they had conflicts with the manager at the time. So the whole thing never came together as Lifehouse, but they pulled the songs from that project, which were already pretty much written and, uh, kind of reworked them and took out the story, connecting story elements to release the songs uh on different albums so they did eight of the nine songs from lifehouse run who's uh, or eight of the nine songs from who's next were from lifehouse project and the only exception on this album is the uh john entwistle song my wife you know this the the who is the first people that probably when you think rock opera you know you didn't hear that much but that's what they started to do they started to actually create rock operas yeah yeah i don't know i don't know if there are any that were done before this but it's really the first one that people know and yeah. you know i mean it may be the first one at all but it's definitely i it's so it, to me it's so much tougher 
to do that because you not only have to have great songs, but now you have to have this story that goes through them and yeah. it has to fit with what you're already doing with the songs, I would think. Yeah. Yeah, you start out, it's tough. You start out with a theme and every song has to hit the theme. You're right. Yeah, yeah. I feel right. like you would kind of be forcing it a little bit, right? Like, how do we wedge this in here and make this work with this <laughs> riff that I have or something? I don't know. I got you. Yeah, you know, it's the creativity. It's, you know, think about it. Any album, right? Even from start to finish, putting songs together. You know, it has to be some sort of flow to it, you know? Sure. Yeah, there's definitely, you know, definitely got to have a feel and a flow. Um, and I think too, probably Townsend being able to do it and pull it off with Tommy and having such a success, yeah, it kind of like stokes that fire and he's like, okay, I can do this. So let's do it again. You know? Um, so this one was recorded in a variety of studios in Great Britain and New York, and they kind of like poked into different studios and, and did a song basically. So there's a lot of moving around. It's not like the story where like they're, uh, who was it? ACDC was in Jamaica, right? <laughs> so right. they're not like, they're not sequestering themselves. They're kind of, they've already kind of got the songs and now they're just recording them in these different places. So that that's interesting as well. I think it gives a, you know, gives them a different flavor. And I, I you know, it's gotta, I, I would think it would spark creativity. Don't yeah. you think being in well, different places? When you just said that, I said, well, you know, I wonder why, like you just said, they, most people sequester themselves like in Jamaica or a studio and they spend all their time there. But when you say about getting up and saying, Hey, let's go do these two in New York, this one here. Yeah. It's got to make you feel good. And not only that probably takes a ton of pressure off you to get things done and studio time. And right. It's definitely, I, I like the idea. Yeah. Definitely different timing for sure. Yeah, because you've got to, yeah break down and move all your stuff and it's very there's a lot of logistics about it it's not just guys walking in you got to bring your equipment and everything into the studio too usually yeah no i like the idea of just taking the pressure off you that it's like you know we're not just here to create an album we're going to live our lives we're going to go to new york we're going to do it i like the whole idea as a creative myself i mean that's exactly how i'd want to do it yeah it really is you know if i do something for too long it never gets better i mean that so like if I take a break and I go like two songs or I go on a break, yeah, that that's exactly how I work. So I can imagine as a creative, you know, taking that break, you know, when you like the Beatles with McCartney that time we talked about it, yeah. what was it 20 hours that, you know, John Lennon wanted to strangle <laughs> Maxwell Silverhammer. Yeah. That Ringo. He made Ringo mad. <laughs> like, how do you yeah. do that? <laughs> yeah. There you go. So, you know, the other guys were mad too. All right. So the other thing about this album was that uh, the guitar uh, Pete Townsend was playing on it was a, a Gretsch guitar that he actually got as a gift from uh, Joe Walsh in early 1971. Wow. And so it's unusual because usually um, Pete Townsend is playing for the most part, uh, used to play Les Pauls a lot, um, but the Gretsch guitar is... Um, a little bit different the body shape is different and everything like that but he used that for for the bulk of the record so that's interesting as well nice all right so let's dive in we're gonna start yeah. off and you know here's we got an album that starts with uh you know the first song is an iconic all-time legendary song and it's baba o'reilly <laughs> Thank you. 
Everybody knows this one. I mean, they, you know, I don't know how you're alive listening to rock music and and not hear Bob <laughs> O'Reilly a billion times. Yeah, oh, a billion but, uh, plus. Yeah. So the the first part is uh, Pete Townsend spent a few weeks in his home studio putting together uh, all this uh, synthesizer, but it's not really a synthesizer. He used a, a, this Lowry organ and he was trying to create this replication of what he thought electronic music in the future would sound like. So he was doing a lot of work and overdubbing stuff at home. And then he brought it in to the uh, recording engineer who was Glenn Johns, who eventually became a big, pretty big producer. Um, and he expected him to alter it, but he left it as it is and insisting that it was perfect. So it's when you listen to it, you can hear it. It's like layers of stuff on top of each other, right? So it's not something that's easy to play live. So they never, right. like most of the time, they would use a recording for this and then just come in with the guitars. Right. You know, so um, I've seen people like do that part live on guitar. And it kind of works sometimes, but it doesn't sound the same. So they did, you know, what they did was what we had talked about. Who do we talk about with that? So Queen. We, yeah, where Queen would do the, oh, the- uh, The break in Bohemian Rhapsody. Part, right? Yeah, she got yeah. a mooch. Yeah, so that was all recorded and then they'd yep. come in. And this Who did the same thing. So they had this recorded yep. section and then bam, everything explodes and the guitar comes in and well, it's you know just what? awesome. You know what? You could just see it, right? Even if it was just off stage and they had the opening and then the lights went on and they went into bang. Yeah, right. Right. Can't exactly. beat that. That would work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but think? I think that the synth sound, like the buildup of it, really helps to get to that point where it explodes, you know, and you got to. Sure. I think without that buildup, it's less impactful. No, no, I, I love it. And it's, it, you know, I was just seeing, you know, we were talking about how to, this was like a rock opera and it's what it was intended for. But when you hear this song, you could see like something happening on stage, the buildup. You can just see everything about it, that it's it's put together in a way of like if somebody was on stage doing something, you know, it really fits. It's great. Yeah. I, you know, and it is, it's it's a bit like Queen in terms of the the drama and the and the uh, grandiosity, I guess, of it. Yep. Right. You know, yeah. so the who, even though the who is kind of a. a they're a blues-based rock band, but they do have that kind of grandiose to the, some of the, the grandioseness or grandiosity to some of these songs. <laughs> All right, let's cut back on the big words. Go ahead. Yeah, we're just making them up. Yeah, Gr grandiosity <laughs> plus. Uh... But I will tell you one of one of my favorite stories of this, and you will. See, it's very funny. Family Guy did that opening. <laughs> one of the greatest Family Guys ever. They took the opening of the the sound and yeah. They yeah. Just, they played it for like seven minutes it just, <laughs> <laughs> in the hilarious. episode. Yeah, it, you're like you're just waiting for it to go into. Like and it never boom, does anything. And it never. 
<laughs> it was funny as hell That's hilarious oh genius genius great so, song yeah. great great song so the title isn't even mentioned in the lyrics uh so the song is often referred to as teenage wasteland yeah and uh so the the actually that teenage wasteland part of the song was a completely different song idea and so townsend put together that first part and the second part and it just works i mean it works so well together i am guilty of that i always thought it was teenage wasteland yeah see that I, and yeah, uh, yeah. so the uh the first part of the title comes from i don't know how to say this Meher. it's m-e-h-e-r baba so this is pete townsend's spiritual guru so you got to remember, we're coming out of the late '60s, where there you go. You know, the Beatles are in India, the hippies, and everybody's into mysticism and Eastern. They're attracted to the Middle Eastern religions and a lot yep. of yeah, you know, a lot of that stuff going around. You've got you know these guys walking around in the Nehru jackets, and that was fashion. It was all very East, very Middle Eastern, or I sure. guess that's Far East, Middle East. I don't know. East. Uh, just east <laughs> yeah just east of us that's all you so, got to remember it's so he has a us. spiritual guru Meher baba and he took right. that from this and then the other part comes from terry riley who's an experimental minimalist composer that pete townsend liked so a lot of this uh keyboard riffs and sound effects on on this album are a result of terry riley's influence on pete townsend nice so he's baba. in a yeah so he's in kind of a, a you know i would say a good kind of mental space where he's you know spiritual he's thinking about you know uh, all, all that kind of stuff and i think that helps keep you centered as a person for most people well it's helpful yeah uh, you know there's a point when pete townsend got into really bad with drugs and alcohol i think in the or like the early 80s and he said that he got away from that stuff and let the you know the booze take over and then mm -hmm. when he got clean and sober again then he kind of went back to it so he always had that you know kind of like george harrison he always kind of went back to that uh you know that religious and and inner thought type of of uh place for himself yeah someplace you could turn your life over to you yeah know? right and help uh, you know help you stay on the path you're trying to uh stay on i was thinking baba o'reilly was like an irish guru but I don't think there are. <laughs> I don't think there are any Irish gurus. Well, the second part, the the the, the guy uh, Tim Riley's yes. probably Irish. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Guinness. Yeah, Sir Guinness. Sir Guinness. Uh, all right. So the other thing about this song is it's a long song. It's uh, five minutes long, uh, and that's not really radio friendly. But the uh, the original instrumental uh, synthesizer demo, the part was was over nine minutes long, almost ten minutes long. So that's probably what they used, and they may have gotten like the <laughs> from the uh, the extras on the album. That's probably what they got for Family Guy. <laughs> is, is that really how long it was? Yeah, it was nine forty eight, and it was just the synth part. So oh my god, yeah. So so that's you. So maybe that's just what they were making fun of. The fact that you had five minutes of that. <laughs> Probably. Wow. Yeah. 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 That's crazy. All right. All right. Let's move on to track number two. And uh, this one is called Bargain. Another great song. Uh, Love it. Wow.
just so good on every front right like there's yeah. it's, it's just amazing the lyrics are great yeah just so good if so just laid out perfectly yep i said the same thing to myself what a great song yeah. like it's got the opening part which is a little unusual and then it just goes straight into it's a the amazing rock riff right and yeah. just so powerful and it's the great you know, combination of all these great players. So wow. you got Townsend, who's a legendary guitar player. You've got Entwistle, who's you know definitely on on the top of a lot of people's lists of the one of the best play, bass players in rock. And you've got uh, uh, Keith Moon, the drummer, who's he's not like any other drummer. Like he doesn't seem like he was really. And I don't know this, but it seems like he was not really like trained or anything. Trained, like right. he's yeah. just kind of, he's a little all over the place, but it works, you know? So it's such an amazing group of musicians. Well, when you think about Keith Moon, Keith Moon was all over the place. Yeah, right. He yeah. was the original like ADHD kid, oh, right? <laughs> when you watch the movie Tommy and you see him in it, it's pretty funny because it's he, like Uncle Ernie and all that guy stuff. He was nuts, certifiable. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, with a guy uh, blew off like a, a, a M80 or something in his bass drum on live TV, right? <laughs> yeah, he was, uh, he was a little kooky. You know, we talk about guitarists then, you know, uh, so I want to throw it out to you. And this is just me, you know, and this is my opinion and what I always thought. I always felt like the Who needed a lead guitarist. And, and I, for some reason, I got to say, I always felt like he was a tremendous at the rhythm guitar and the fill and all that good stuff. But as far as taking leads and running with them and, you know, and yeah, it, didn't, they didn't have, who didn't have a lot of that. No, he's not a, he's not a burner, you know, again, like right. not a Clapton Van Halen, even like a Jimmy page really, but he plays a good blues lead. I, you oh. know, if, and I think Pete Townsend too, as the only, as since he's the sole songwriter, right he's not he's more of a songwriter than he is a guitarist and i'm right. not saying that in a, like to denigrate him in any way but uh no, his guitar fit the who perfectly yeah. that there's no complaints yeah, yeah i always just i always just thought that you know <laughs> and probably pete would have never had that but you're just a lead guitarist but yeah. i guess he i guess he felt he but you know what it's another thing too is you know, they didn't always talk about lead guitarist and guitarist, rhythm guitar, lead guitar. They were just guitar players. 
Right, right. But right. it's not, you don't have like, you know, it's not like Led Zeppelin where you're going to get a 30 minute solo every song, you know? Right, right. Exactly. Let's say 30 where, minute, 30 second. Well, <laughs> 30 you know, where, where those guys, their guitar work needed to shine, you know? Yeah, like a, right. A so like a Van Halen or, you yeah, know, yeah, right. or even Clapton, you know, where it's yep. a blues solo. But I think it fits in so well. He's He's a very good player in terms of, it's 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 the quiet and the loud again you know it's the yep. here's the riff and it's a very kind of keith richardsy playing style that he has yeah it, it's very similar and unforgettable riffs that's another thing is when you hear that riff you know it's the who so, right you know and the songs the songwriting is so so Pete townsend is an amazing amazing songwriter um, but this one, the bargain is about, uh, it's a spiritual, a song about losing all your material goods for spiritual enlightenment, enlightenment, thus being a bargain. So you're giving away everything you have for enlightenment. So he's back to this, you know, like kind of guru stuff. And I, you know, this stuff, I, I never knew this about the who until I started researching this, but this album is really, a lot of these songs are all about that kind of spiritual stuff. I had no idea that Pete Townsend was even into that. None. What I would have never thought bargain had, but I get it. I'll trade in everything I got for the spiritual life, and it's a, quite the bargain. It makes that's cool. Yeah, and the other yeah. thing is too here. You really, uh, I, I just love Roger Daltrey's voice on this song as well, um, and you can see why he's in the band and Pete's not the lead singer. Yeah, because Pete can sing and play. He does you know he does solo work and he oh he Pete sings on sing. this song a little bit. So Pete can sing. Yeah, Pete can sing. He's not oh, you yeah. know he doesn't have the quote unquote best voice. Like right. Daltrey has a great great voice. Unbelievable. Uh, but if they are such a good team together, it fits so well. You know, Daltrey's voice is a is an instrument. You know, and that's how powerful it is. It again when he comes in during these songs, man, boom, smacks you in the face. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it was so powerful back in the day. Um, uh, you know, I I saw them uh, like three years ago, and it's not the same. You know, the good. songs are still great. Yeah, but yes. you know, no, it's hard yeah. to it's hard to to you can't scream like that at 75 years old or whatever they are now. Well, it, it's the, it's the argument that Robert Plant just said, no, right. No, he was just, I get it. There's a time to say no. <laughs> yeah. And it, you know, the interesting thing was the place was packed. People went crazy, but it was, you know, it's, it's a room. It was a room full of people our age, you know? So it was, <laughs> it was an older crowd. It's, it's a room full of memories. Yeah. Right. That's exactly it. And Townsend has said that he said, like, it's it's all the boomers hanging on to their memories, you know, and the way they literally. play live, but they still enjoy it. So they yeah, it, I've, right? I, I've donated to many a show, Johnny Winter, Leon Russell, you know, through all the years to say, yeah. yeah, let me let you know, I thank you for everything you gave me throughout my life. And it's a good way to look at it. It's at the end. Here's a couple bucks. Right. You know, right. And, yep. Yep. And well deserved though, the guys, you know, yeah, I get definitely. It. Great so, memories. Again, this is 1971, and so uh, this is the beginning wow. of synthesizers. So Pete Townsend was an early adopter of synthesizers, and so on Bargain, he used a new one, the ARP 2500, which we've talked about. I think the Beatles may have used that as well. I remember you bringing that up. Yeah, yeah. so uh, it's the same synthesizer that was used to call the extraterrestrials on the movie Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So just fascinating <laughs> tidbit. <laughs> I'll say. I'll say. 
which was a 1977 movie, so it came after The Who. So you could say that Pete Townsend inspired, uh, uh, what's his name? Who's the director on that? Steven Spielberg. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know what's missing from our podcast? Like when I, I could come in and say, fascinating tidbit. And then you... <laughs> You know, how something, something comes up. Well, I didn't know the fascinating tidbit was coming. <laughs> Give me a sign. Oh, you want to you want to pre-announce it? <laughs> Get right, ready. Fascinating you know. tidbit. I'll let you know the next one that I have that's fascinating. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's jump to track number three. This one is "Love Ain't for Keeping." Wow. of a mellow song here mm. interesting oh. tidbit tom interesting tidbit <laughs> the, first, the first version of this song that the who recorded was an electric rock version and uh so they did that when they were working with this producer called kit lambert but after a falling out with lambert the band recorded an acoustic version that they used on this album but when they went out and played this song live, they often played the harder rock version at their shows. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. So interesting a... tidbit. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So they got to mix it up a little bit. But I, I like that. I like it a lot. And it, it, you know, it definitely has that who sound, you it's know, when you hear song. that, that uh, chorus, you can tell that it's definitely the who. You know, when I heard this song, I, that, that I always tell everybody on these podcasts, man, you gotta sit one day and listen to this album. Don't be distracted. Don't be, listen to the album. That's when it's so enjoyable. You know, when you hear it on the radio, you drive and the song right, comes right. and goes. When you sit down and take it all in, man, every one of these albums we covered, if you would listen to the album, it, it, this is a killer, this one yeah, here right here. Yeah, it's always good. And, you know, I think that's the thing that's kind of missing today is you get everything's a single now. You know, it's all singles. There's not too much, not too much album listening these days. Oh, uh, man. You know, the memories of just putting an album on, you know, and just hanging out. <laughs> Nothing better. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah, Nothing. without a doubt. Yeah. All right, so let's take a listen to the uh, John Entwistle song. Uh, this one is called My Wife.
it's pretty straightforward. It's just a story about a guy who's been out partying and now his wife's going to kick his ass. <laughs> yeah, there's the 70s for you. But you know what? This song, I get hypnotized just listening to Keith Moon's playing on this. Yeah. Right? It's all I, like, it's, I, I it, it, you start to hear it and then you can't not hear it, yeah. you know? Which is yeah. amazing, but it's like, wow, it's like, it's, it, like, it, it's amazing to me that a drummer is able to, like, pull your attention in the middle of a song like that. It's just crazy. And even though it was Ant Whistle, it, you know, it has the, who all over it you yeah know what i mean yeah yeah it's still yeah. got the who sound right? oh everything yeah. everything yeah i was like all right it's that whistle but man they've learned from each other in there you know they everything sounds like the who right no matter even if it was townsend doing it daltrey doing it or you know uh and whistle doing it yeah it always makes it always comes back to that who sound and yeah. it's just about i think it's about like how they phrase a lot of those like how the, the phrasing is on the singing yep. too uh, it's it's usually towards the like the end of the pre-chorus or the actual chorus and it has that lilt to it where you you hear you know it's it's so familiar you know you're so used yep. to hearing it uh but it works great it's a nice song I, you know not my favorite on the album but i definitely am not skipping it when i'm playing it yeah it's a good song and you know people have to realize you know ant whistle was a tremendous talent tremendous yeah yeah you know? amazing 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 musician now you think about it back in the day as <laughs> all right back in the day <laughs> well, back in my day well you know interesting part about it is the bass players were super talented you know the jack bruce's the duck duns you know the john entwistles the and they pretty much their role was to just stay on the side of the stage and play bass yeah but again we're back to the, how important bass is for a song if you you know when you hear a song without bass Yep. You, you know, a lot of times you, you go, wow, that's what I was missing, you know, <laughs> no. and it's, it's the root of the song. So if the bass isn't there, now the guitar has got to do that or the keyboard or whatever the main instrument has got to be that, that anchor, you know, to keep the song. It's like that bass and drums together, keep the song moving in the right direction at all times. Yeah. It's funny you say that. I'm sure we'll cover one of their albums one day, but you know, uh, Ray Manzarek used to cover all the bass with the organ and everything like that. Interesting way to look at it. Right. Yeah. Because they weren't, you know, they didn't have a, it was just the, that's uh, it. for them. Right. That's it. Yeah. How many no did the doors for? Right? Yep. No bass player. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was, uh, yeah. Densmore Krieger, Manzarek right. and Jim Morrison. Jim Morrison. But we'll cover one of those one day. Maybe an L.A. woman, ladies Maybe. and gentlemen. Maybe. <laughs> we like 1971. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do. And for right. a good reason. Yeah. All right. Let's jump up to track number five. This one, another pretty well-known song. This is The Song Is Over. Find me. 
Interesting because uh, the piano on this is played by Nicky Hopkins, who we know is a keyboard player who played a lot with the Rolling Stones and uh, you know tons of other bands. Did a lot of studio work through through the '60s all the way through the, the '90s. There you go. Yeah, but definitely, you know, again, it's got that Who sound, right? Yeah, it's so so uh, discernible, and you, you just can't not hear it. <laughs> Yeah, and when you uh, the thing that came to mind for me, right, is you know Townsend, a songwriter, but truly you can see where his heart is. It's kind of like rock and roll, yet a Broadway. You could see somebody singing this on the front of the stage in a Broadway play. Yeah, yeah, definitely, <laughs> it's that kind of song where it yeah, can work in almost any format. Right, and it builds up, and a guy singing to the audience about the life that's going on around. Sure. Him. Yeah, very, very. So you can see how his writing style. We were talking about it earlier about the fact that it flows like in a play-like thing where yeah. you know everything gets attached. Very yeah, cool. He's, he's definitely a storyteller. So, yeah. and that's why you know when he's doing these all these rock opera type things because he wants to tell these stories. It just awesome. happens that he's a great songwriter on top of being able to tell the stories. So it's a good mix. Yeah, he's done well for himself for sure. Yeah. All right, let's jump ahead now. We're going to go to track number six, and uh, this one is called Getting in Tune. Great song. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Been a while. Singing this note because it fits in well with the chords I'm playing. It's just so simple and can't pretend there's any meaning hidden in the things I'm saying, but I'm in tune, right in tune, I'm in tune, and I'm gonna tune. Get me in 
Yeah, so uh, this one, the lyrics are kind of reflecting the contradictions that Townsend was feeling between his desire for the spirituality and then his uh, his persona as a hard-drinking, hard-partying rock star. Ah. So eventually it sounds like the booze won out, but... <laughs> yeah, you know, this is, I like this. It's This is a nice song. You know, if you're going to put a quote around it, it would be nice. It's a nice song. Well, you know, I, I'm thinking about it here with the, uh, oh, what was I going to say? I lost my trend of thought, Don. Please edit that out. All right. Oh, no, what I was going to say is, you know, a lot of times when we listen to albums and we're yeah. going through, you know, doing inside the album, you, you, you can see who influenced too. Like we could say Chuck Berry or Little Richard or, or you know, Fats Domino. You could, you could pick it. And you, you can't pick that up with the who, like who influenced them. They're, they're kind of like, they are the who. It, yeah, they do have an original sound, you right. know, so it doesn't sound like anything else. It sounds like the who. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm saying you. I, I would like to know. I'm going to check that out. You know, who influenced them? Who influenced, you know, a Pete Townsend, you know, to write this way? But it's different. Like you said, maybe it's just in a different direction, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think that, you know, the great ones take that influence and just kind of make it their own. And you, I think it's a lot of times you don't hear it as much. You know, it's a little more obvious, like with the Stones, who their influences are, because, you know, A, they do a lot of old blues covers like Round right. and Round and uh, Little Red Rooster or Little, was it Little Red Rooster? Little Brown yeah. Rooster? Little Red Rooster. Yeah. yeah. Great. But too. they do all those old blues songs, you know. And so the Beatles know, too, you know, yeah, Chuck yeah. Berry or every, all right. those guys. Yeah. But these guys generally are, you know, it, it, they, every song sounds like the who. So yeah. You can't pick up on where it came from. Like sometimes yeah. you'll hear a guitar like, oh, Chuck Berry or right. Little Richard or yeah. Right. Yeah. You don't, you don't, don't tend to hear that here with these no. guys. So they are them. They are the who. Yeah. So the uh, again, it's Nicky Hopkins on the the uh, the beginning, the very kind of gentle piano part at the beginning with the end twistle bass underneath. It's just so awesome. It works so well together, really? and it's a it's a classic case of of not overplaying. You know, so it's just it's so simple and basic. The bass is kind of floating along in the background. And it it just moves the whole song forward without you getting distracted into like some crazy riff or something right off the bat. All right, so let's move ahead. We'll go to track number seven, and this one is Going Mobile. Woo!
Obviously, it's Pete Townsend singing on this one, and uh, obviously he wrote the song, as he wrote pretty much all these. Um, but you hear that uh, if you hear that like little synthesizer sound in the background right in that part, that's actually a guitar, wow. and it ran through an effect called an envelope follower, and it's kind of like a distortion synthesizer little box that was kind of new, and so it nice. makes it sound like you know a, a little bit like underwater synthesizer-y sound. Yeah. Uh, interesting uh but it's a super simple song you know not not a lot of complicated again i'm like i'm hypnotized maybe it's just me but i'm hypnotized by keith moon's drumming drumming it's so not you know one two three four it's like <laughs> everything yeah, is yeah. like rolls and stuff it's great yeah it is but it works and that's the other thing even though it's like so chaotic the drumming it just works you know here i'm a little hyper focused on it because i i love listening to it but um it, it definitely works with the song and the song is just about him taking a vacation driving around the car with nowhere to no particular place that he's going and it's something that townsend liked to do on a regular basis it was, it was like his pastime so and i will say we about. would talk we were talking about it i i truly enjoy his voice again no other voice like it right it is pete you hear that it's pete townsend no doubt yeah. about it and he could have easily Ha, you know been a solo or you know and because he's the songwriter he can play all almost all the instruments and and he can Dude, sing so i i love pete townsend solo albums yeah yeah me too. i really big they fan. were great yeah. yeah big big fan oh yeah all right so let's go to track number eight uh this is another really really well-known song and this one is behind blue eyes wow No one knows what it's like to be the bad man, to be the sad man behind the blue eyes. No one knows what it's like to be hated, to be faded, to telling only lies. But my dreams, they aren't as empty as my conscience seems to be.
that's never free. Again, another great song with the mm-hmm. great buildup. You know, the the beginning, the acoustic part is uh, gorgeous, and then again, it just explodes live, right? Yeah. You uh, know, when I look at it again, you know, great uh, storytelling show tune. You can see it, the buildup, everything about a storytelling. Great. Yeah. Great. The inter- interesting thing is that both Townsend and Daltrey both have blue eyes, but the song is not autobiographical. Ah. So he nice. just said he Townsend said he wrote it talking about how lonely it can be to be powerful. Wow, that's a great touch. Yeah, he said that uh, he uh, he never really behaved like a typical rock star when he was on tour, especially when it came to groupies, which he tried to avoid. And he said it was a run in with a groupie that was the impetus for the song. He got married. Pete got married in 1968. And then uh, was tempted by a group groupie after the Who's June 9th, 1970 concert in Denver. And he says he went back to his room alone and wrote a prayer beginning, if my fist clenches, crack it open. Yeah. So it's like, right. you know, he's like trying not to, to cheat with this, you know, this groupie chick. And, and uh, he actually is trying to control himself. So that's interesting temptation at its best and it's funny that it ends up in denver of all places <laughs> yeah. you know uh, I, I daltrey uh daltrey townsend man you know uh fact is they weren't big fans of each other uh they went out on the road and they did their thing as the who yeah uh, i'll give you a little thing fascinating fact uh that was pretty interesting they asked pete townsend one time i saw in an interview uh what song did you really like to not play the most on tour? And he said, anything Roger liked. <laughs> <laughs> really? The songs you didn't want? But yeah, any songs Roger liked. And yeah. I don't know if you were singing it ton- tongue in cheek, but right. they, had, they had their challenges. Well, and I've seen Daltrey interviewed. And, you know, when they start talking about the process of recording and stuff, he was like, yeah, you know, Pete would tell me, sing it this way, sing it that way. So this is really, it's just so, it's Pete Townsend's band. Yeah. Daltrey's just the voice and the pretty face up front, you know? So I think Townsend realized he needed a good looking guy, you know, because you've got, okay, at the time you've got Mick Jagger, you've got Robert Plant, you've got all these lead singers who are, are you know, sexy guys with their shirts off and stuff. And so Woo. part of that, you know, obviously the voice is first. But Roger Daltrey also was ripped and, you know, jacked and in great shape and was on stage with the, their long hair and, you know, the girls went crazy for him. So, uh, you know, I think sounds Pete like you did, too. That. Yeah, I definitely yeah, I definitely it, appreciate yeah. I definitely appreciate what they were going for. <laughs> yeah, you just you just did two mu- two minutes on all the front men. But go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> and their shirtless bodies. Did I ever mention Robert Plant's ass? Did I ever mention? <laughs> 
that's next episode we get into presence behind the pants <laughs> no we don't want to do inside the pants inside no, we'll the do... pants we already did that with sticky fingers good point let's leave it there we went inside the pants once that's enough we're done <laughs> little experimentation we're moving on yes but don't hold it against me folks no. keep keep hitting those buttons and liking us yeah five star reviews please yeah. As we digress completely. Uh, all right. So let's talk about the album Closer. Legendary, legendary, legendary. I can't say it enough. Iconic just song. Did. I just keep saying it because it's so damn true. All so right. this song, you know, is hugely popular when it was released and it, it lived on in a second life as uh, it's a theme song for one of the uh, uh, cop shows that's on TV, all those CSI shows. I can never keep them straight. But um, it's won't get fooled again. Here we go. Get another synth info intro here, right? pretty much heard this song an amazing awesome rock anthem and uh townsend wrote this song about revolution and so in the first verse you have the uprising in the middle they overthrow those in power but at the end the new regime becomes just like the old one the meet the new boss same as the old boss so mm. Pete townsend thought that revolution was pointless because whoever takes over is destined to become corrupt <laughs> makes so sense to me he goes you know it doesn't really change anything it's just different people at the end it's same same crap though and people wow. get hurt in the you know in the process of the of the revolution so it's kind of a cautionary tale he said pete townsend said it's interesting that people have you know taken it up as this anthem when it's really a cautionary song ah. but the music is so anthemic so you know and again it comes back to how much do people actually listen to the lyrics of rock songs? So I think some do. 
and others just kind of sing along and you know they're just they love the music and the beat and the the words are are a little less meaningful to to a lot of people i think yeah i just want to know how many people use the word anthemic i'm just this this is <laughs> this is quite the day for me i mean uh I'm i got a new here. thesaurus yeah <laughs> and you're using it well i uh I'm, I'm listening to the, I'm thinking of the windmill. You're thinking of anthemic. I'm thinking, <laughs> you know, because Townsend oh, got. Townsend windmill. I thought you were talking about like Holland. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm thinking of like, you know, how you can hear it in this. So this is where he, with the windmill, you know, he loved doing that, man. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. That was his thing. <laughs> Great so that, stuff. That movie is crazy because a lot of times, and this happened to Townsend a lot, is you can tear up the the palm of your hand as it comes across the bridge of the guitar because the bridge of the guitar is all metal you know mm. and it's it's kind of it's not sharp but it's pointy where the strings go over the over sure. the the bridge at the base of the guitar it's not sh like sharp to cut you but it, it's it's metal and it's it's kind of pointy so he you often cut his hand doing that stuff yeah, you might want to stop that yeah, he still does it though. Last time I saw him, they were doing it. <laughs> Just a little slower. A little slower, yeah. A little more cautiously. Hang <laughs> on. Uh, <laughs> so that's who's next. Hope you yeah. enjoy it. Like, click, subscribe, review, five star reviews only. Hit please. a <laughs> review with a five star review. Yeah. I like that. If you're or gonna else... leave a two star review, don't bother. It's not worth the effort. <laughs> or blame Don if you do. Yeah, it, it, it's okay. Tell, tell us that it was too many big words. <laughs> <laughs> ne never. There's never, never enough. Listen, right. hit the buttons. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks Don, for listening, good job, guys. man. And we'll see yeah. you next week. We're going to cover Bruce Springsteen for the first time. And we're going to do Born to Run. So from our uh, home here in New Jersey, we'll uh, cover Jersey's uh, patron son. Against Bruce Springsteen. Not all of New Jersey, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. Thanks, everybody. All right. We'll see you next week.